And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, a proud part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. I am your host, J. David Weeder, but as usual, you can call me Dave. And this is the ongoing podcast in which I talk about Daredevil comics after reading Daredevil comics, because you can't do one without the other. As Andrew Leyland once pointed out, Andrew's a wise, wise man. And currently, we're coming on the tail end of the original Frank Miller run on Daredevil. A project started way back in episode 10 with Man Without Fear and went directly into the issues preceding what we're covering. This time around, though, we are looking at Daredevil number 185, which continues from last issue to some extent. The plot points were taken from that issue and the previous issue is that Heather Glenn is still trying to make her dad's company work. And Heather is way out of her depth with this thing. Concurrently, Matt Murdock has asked her to marry him. Yes, as strange as it sounds, he had once dug up his ex-girlfriend who had just died and then turned around and proposed to Heather. And that is not awkward at all. Only completely awkward. The way these two come to meet in this issue is that during Heather's covert research, she discovered that her company is making explosives under the guise of something called Atreus Plastic. And that is where Daredevil number 185 starts us off. This is the August 1982 cover date. And the cover is, as expected, by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. And it shows Daredevil being propelled forward by this vibrant bright light that looks to be an explosion. And even the title font is affected as it's crumbling away like Thanos just snapped his fingers or something. This is a gorgeous cover. It uses a lot of shadow, so you don't see Daredevil's face. It's in profile and shadow against his shoulder. The main thing about this cover that stands out is just how vibrant and blue it is. I mean, it is like a bolt of lightning on the spinner rack, to be honest with you. There's not a lot to it, but darn it, does it stand out. And inside this cover is a story entitled Guts, written and penciled by Frank Miller, with colors and inks by Klaus Janssen, and letters by Joseph Rosen. If you want to get this reprinted, it's in Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 3, The Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Omnibus, which is my preferred reading experience, or the trade paperback Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Volume 3. Diving into this particular story, we open with an introduction by Daredevil himself, reminding people that he is indeed blind, he uses his sonar sense, and is really Matt Murdock. The point of this introduction is that the issue we're going to read is from the narrative point of view of Foggy Nelson, who does not know Matt is Daredevil. So it does prime us to keep Matt's little secret. And as the story proper begins, Heather Glenn rushes into the offices of Nelson and Murdoch, where Foggy is working. She explains that her company is into some shady stuff, namely plastic explosives. And she doesn't know who the client is. And Foggy agrees to help her under the guise of keeping the information away from Matt, who would just tell her to quit doing what she's doing and be a good little wife and stay home. As Matt arrives, Foggy agrees to help and they rush out of the office. Foggy is completely unaware that they are actually being followed by Matt as Daredevil. Foggy and Heather confront the board of directors of Glenn Industries who point out that Heather herself was the one that signed the work order for the plastic explosives. Heather is as much if not more culpable of this whole situation as the board of directors, so if they go down, she goes down. Foggy tells Heather not to worry, he's going to go through this, he's going to do all the legwork, he's going to get through the red tape, but it turns out there's a lot of red tape. Miles of red tape at every angle that Foggy hits. 
So Foggy decides to take a page out of Daredevil's book and goes to the underworld, asking about anybody who would want massive explosions, and learns that there's a heist going on at some point on a pier. Before Foggy can do anything about that, he's knocked out and taken to Eric Slaughter. Slaughter's a bit annoyed, of course, because Turk has told him that vision he's got, and he's trying to get his job back. Foggy is about to get capped. When suddenly the lights go out, unknown to him, it's because of Daredevil, who does the dirty work of knocking every thug in the room out. Turk and Slaughter are also unaware that Daredevil's a part of it, so when the lights come on, Foggy's sitting on top of a pile of knocked-out goons. Turk decides not to employ himself with Slaughter anymore, and decides that Foggy, Guts Nelson, is now his new boss. And he takes Foggy to meet the big guy himself, Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin, who is actually the culprit here who ordered the plastic explosives, because he is actually doing a heist on a ship. As Foggy continuously bluffs his way out of the situation, Daredevil is beating Fisk's men down left and right, and comes across their quarry. They're trying to steal a radioactive rod. In the fight, Daredevil and the crate with the rod in it are knocked off the ship and into the waters below, where Daredevil is exposed to the rod's radiation. But Daredevil recovers, even though it looks like Foggy may end up taking the business end of a gun to his face. Daredevil's recovery and Foggy's near-imminent death collide when Daredevil gets on the walkie-talkie that the Kingpin is monitoring with and says, don't mess with Guts Nelson. So Foggy is spared and agrees to meet with the Kingpin about being his new hired assassin as Turk gets better ideas and insists that they head off to Chicago. But instead of going to Chicago, Foggy ditches Turk on the plane and laughs on the tarmac as it takes off for Chicago and his danger is over. So ends Daredevil number 185. And I will be back to talk about this particular issue right after this podcast promo break coming soon from the fire and water podcast network working together we saved the planet and i believe that if we stayed together as a team we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice every episode my name is jean i'm a marshal every adventure <sighs> okay you guys are so slow Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. Welcome back. As noted in the synopsis, Daredevil number 185 begins with a bit of an introduction by Daredevil himself. And at first, when you're reading it, it's like, yes, we're getting another rehash of who Daredevil is, what his powers are, which is fine because every comic could be somebody's first. But it also ends up being really, really charming because Daredevil's like, please keep my secret. Foggy doesn't know, which could be a song. Foggy doesn't know. Foggy doesn't know. Then you get the European dance version. Oh, it's wonderful. The entire concept of breaking the fourth wall changes the tone of the issue right from the first page and is probably one of the best story choices I've seen. And it starts off the whole fun idea. Even though the dramatic things are at stake, this issue ends up being a lot of fun. And if we're being really, really honest, fun and Frank Miller are two terms that don't always go together in the public perception arena. And yet here we are with a great fun issue. In Foggy's point of view, his narrative structure is that of a hard-boiled detective. Just take some of Foggy's first lines, for example. I'm working late on a stack of red-hot depositions when the scent of $200 an ounce perfume sneaks into my nostrils. You can almost hear the old throwback music from the Universal Monsters era. So while Miller is responsible for a lot of lackluster responses in some of his later work, this Daredevil work remains consistently good. 
And I'm going to sneak a little bit of information to you. This issue is a real standout of this particular era. But adding to the whole old school hard-boiled detective idea is that a beautiful woman comes to ask for help. In this case, it's Heather, and it's made clear that she does not want to go to Matt, because Matt would basically make her shut down her entire aspirations of keeping her dad's company alive. Spoiler, he does that. Foggy, however, has a big heart, and she knows it, and he is very, very good at research. It's one of Foggy's biggest traits is that he can dig into a set of law books and find some minuscule old law that they can actually use. So while most of Heather's motivation of not telling Matt comes from Matt not really seeming to care or wanting to help her, Foggy's kind of the natural choice for the type of law we're working with, corporate law. But when Matt does show up at the office, he kind of proves Heather's point. The first thing he says, have you thought a little bit more about settling down with me and quitting this whole executive thing? And that's Matt's words. And being that this story is being told externally of Matt, that it's from Foggy's POV, we don't know if Matt's being sarcastic, if he's playing into what's going on here, or if he's being dead serious. And I've been really struggling with this particular subplot and the way it plays out and everything that plays out with it down the road. A lot of which I can't comment on, but this doesn't lead anywhere good. And frankly, it does not make Matt look like a good guy. And that bothers me the most, is that Matt is coming off like a complete jerk. And I can't tell if he's playing into the whole secret identity thing, or if he's really that unbalanced to not invest in what's important to Heather and something that he's had a part in from the beginning, which that being Glenn Industries and the whole thing that led to her father's death and to Heather taking over the company. If anybody would know about fathers and legacies and how important that can be, it would be Matt Murdock. He's Daredevil because of his father. And I can't put my finger on whether Matt knows how deep Heather is in with this whole Atreus plastic thing, which gets played out in the next scene, or if he's really just that blind, no pun intended, but blind to what's going on. And that's a big weakness in the storytelling, because even when we are within Matt, when we have his inner monologue, he's not really acknowledging where he stands on everything. He's very distracted by being Daredevil and being the crusading lawyer, but he doesn't look at what's important, which is Heather. Add to that that the proposal to Heather comes out of nowhere from somebody who should know he's on really, really shaky territory in terms of this relationship, that this relationship is not, not ready for the marriage level. And Foggy ushers Heather out here and says, oh, she was sneezing. We have a dinner date, not realizing that Matt can hear everything that's going on prior to him walking in and knows what the conversation was, which is why he follows as Daredevil. But Heather knows she gets the extent of his senses to some degree. And she has to know that he knows what's going on. And maybe she's baiting him into this whole thing. Which, if she is bringing him into the equation by force in doing this action, she really does have a certain level of manipulation that we're not aware of. And it actually improves Heather's standing, in my opinion. She's tried the reasonable route of talking to Matt and appealing to Matt and explaining to Matt, but Matt's not listening. But if she plays a hand where Daredevil has to get involved, suddenly... She knows where Matt lives mentally, and she's playing on that, and that's beautiful. Moving to the next scene, we have Heather and Foggy confronting the board of directors, and it doesn't go well because Heather's signature is on the very paper that ordered the explosives from Atreus Plastic, which of course undermines the whole idea of her being manipulative and being able to play that card. She just stumbled right into the middle of this whole thing that she has an objection to. She's been played in a big way, and the idea of her trying to play Matt in return doesn't ring quite as true because she was completely unaware of what she was doing. She's not reading what she's signing, which is by design from the board of directors. They want her deep, deep into this, so that way she can't take away their plans and their profit margin. So assuming Heather is playing a game with Matt and bringing him in and baiting him, 
That means Heather was manipulated by the board of directors and Heather is now manipulating Matt to try to intervene. Unless Matt knows more than he's letting on. And next issue will kind of shed a little bit of light on that, that maybe he does or did at this time know what was going on more than Heather. If he has the full picture that the board of directors are doing some shady stuff and he's investigating it and Heather doesn't know how far into that investigation he is... That means his motivation in trying to get her out of the equation is to not let her get in trouble and go down for this. That particular scenario suits me much better than Matt being as cold and dismissive as he has been lately. And Miller's once again playing with the box shapes, the rectangles, what have you. Which to him signifies the trappings of New York, that everybody's kind of trapped in this city. This narrow alleyway here, an office there, windows that have multiple panes within them, so it creates a bigger and bigger prison. And that plays out so beautifully in the glasses of one of the representatives of the board of directors. Outside, Daredevil is cast in the light of a grid pattern window. That window is then reflected in this man's glasses, meaning that they're on the inside, Daredevil's on the outside as usual. But it means that he is imposing that prison on Heather. The sort of boxed-in feeling that is the corporate world. And in turn, his manipulations have trapped Heather into something really, really nasty, where she is now on the hook for a lot of criminal activity that could come back and not only destroy her, but destroy the company that she's trying so hard to keep afloat. And as this meeting ends, Foggy recommends that Heather just goes to the police. At this point, she's in so deep, and everything is moved so far south that she should just go to the police, put everything on the table, and they could begin tearing the company apart. Which kind of justifies, to some extent, Matt's point of view that Heather needs to draw out of this. That she's in a bad position and she needs to let it go. Which I will acknowledge, yes, she is in a bad position. She's been put in a bad position by somewhat her stubbornness, but otherwise by manipulation and being in an inexperienced position instead of being somebody who can control what's going on around them. And maybe, just maybe, there is no clean way out of this. Maybe it is so far gone that she should let it go. That's not something that should easily be said to Heather or callously be said to Heather. But that's all Matt is doing is saying, maybe you should let it go. Settle down and be a wife. Be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen for me, lady. And that's bad. That's something I don't like to see on Matt. That's not a good look. Look, I'm going to continue on this train of thought a little bit. Matt is not a bad person. I don't believe that. He wouldn't be Daredevil if he was a bad person. He wouldn't be a lawyer if he was a bad person. At least not the type of lawyer Matt is. Let me clarify that. Matt's action as Daredevil and Matt's action as a lawyer in the past have proven he does have an altruistic sense to him. That's at his very, very core. If I had to posit a theory, then it is that, yes, Matt knows just how shady Glenn Industries has become and how far Heather is ingrained in that and how much trouble that can mean for her. And with all this happening shortly after the death of Elektra, Matt's just not prepared to see somebody else that he loves get buried. The other side of the coin is Matt is not very open with his emotions. He does not share them freely. He doesn't share them loudly. And frankly, he doesn't have a lot of clarity on what his emotions are and what they mean to him. They tend to come out garbled and misguided in terms of the way he expresses his emotions when he does express them. And I think and I hope that's what's happening here is that Matt is fearing for Heather. He really does care about her and he's still traumatized by the abrupt death of Electra as well as his own actions with Bullseye. He almost killed Bullseye. Let's not forget that. Yeah, it would have been Bullseye's own actions, but he almost let Bullseye die, gladly. In fact, it's solely sheer luck that Bullseye is still alive and incapacitated rather than dead. And it would have been on Matt's conscience. So he's seen himself pushed up against the very threshold of his sanity. And I don't think you can hit that threshold without coming back a little bit scarred. Especially if you're not dealing with the ideas that happen. If you're completely not acknowledging them or processing them, they're just going to sit there and eat at you. And that's what's happening with Matt, if I have to posit a theory. 
that these emotions, these fears about what he is capable of, as well as what being Daredevil in that world means now, what it means to the people around him, he's grappling with that and he's not grappling well. And a lot of that's coming out as bile is what it's happening. So I don't think Matt is wrong to want Heather to get out of this situation because it's a bad situation. And Foggy's acknowledgement of that really does justify Matt's fears and core emotions, but not his actions, not the way he's presenting it to Heather. If Matt does have clear intel on what's happening within Glen Industries, then he should share that with Heather and share his fears clearly and what he can and can't do to save her. So at least Heather can make a fully informed decision. Then again, maybe Matt's just a misogynist and he's really trying to place Heather into a box, just like the men at Glen Industries. Well, guess what, everybody? Either way, it doesn't end well for Heather in any way, shape, or form. But coming back to Foggy's story here, Foggy says, I want you to go to the police. Heather says, absolutely not. So Foggy is determined to find a way to work this out within the legal system without destroying the company. And of course, not taking Heather down with it. And Foggy, as determined as he is, keeps coming up against a mile of red tape. He goes to the Bureau of Industrial Statistics, Commission on Corporate Practices, and the Department of Public Assess and Research, all of which tell him, man, it's going to be six months at minimum. It's not going to take any sort of immediate action. Foggy has exhausted everything he knows about the research, and it's visually shown that Foggy is walking along a long panel with a a long ribbon-like trail of red tape following him. It's something that the normal Foggy Nelson technique just can't push past. So Foggy makes a decision that seems like a very unfoggy decision to make, which is to go into the underworld and start asking questions. And on the surface, it does feel very odd because Foggy's always very non-confrontational, very full of anxiety, and very soft-spoken. But yet, at the same time, Foggy's always been determined. That's always been who he is. Foggy doesn't always see the barriers in his way. Take, for example, his early appearances. When he had a thing for Karen Page, he went out and bought a ring and planned to propose to her. And he genuinely, genuinely thought this was going to come to pass, that he would marry Karen Page. And you know what? It might have. There's a switch that gets flipped in Foggy from time to time in which he decides a course of action and just runs at it. Consequences be damned. And that's the thing about Foggy that I love. He is more than the cliche that he comes across as. Yes, he's sort of the bumbling and nervous friend of the main character, but at the same time, he's got a lot of integrity and, and, if I may make a pun here, a lot of guts when he has to have it. It's become the norm to play Foggy for laughs, but he's actually a well-rounded character in many, many ways. It doesn't do well for the character to play down his intelligence and his research acumen and just how good a lawyer he is in terms of what he brings to the table for Nelson and Murdoch. Matt may be the flashy presentation portion of Nelson and Murdoch. Foggy is the one that did the digging and found the information that's going to make the case go. And when he gets his mind on that research, he will go to any lengths to get that information, including, as we see in this comic, he goes to the docks to try to find out what's going on with the explosives. He goes to what looks like Josie's bar, and then he goes to the pool hall, where he actually does find out this is going to be used in a heist tonight at a pier. It almost sounds like a game of Clue, Colonel Mustard in the study, but there's going to be a heist that night. That's the important thing. And then Foggy doesn't realize how deep he's gotten in. He's paid this guy $100, and the guy looks like a big, big, burly dude, and Foggy gets knocked the F out, and he gets tricked in such a funny way. The guy says, hey, look, your shoe's untied. Naturally, Foggy looks down and realizes just as he's doing it that he's wearing loafers and gets knocked down hard. And it's basically like he goes from the frying pan into the fire as he's tied up and put in front of Eric Slaughter. Which would seem scarier if Turk wasn't there asking for his job back. And of course, anytime Turk shows up, gold happens. This to me signals that Foggy is so intent on the research he doesn't think about the consequences, even when the consequences come to him. 
And yet, now that he knows that there's a heist going down, now he's in trouble, and suddenly all of that adrenaline comes rushing in, and he's terrified. And I would be totally terrified as well, because Slaughter, without really saying much in terms of the information, says, oh, just kill him. And then the lights go out, and Daredevil goes to work. Now, Foggy is swinging fists and and really doing his thing, because by the time the lights come back on, yes, there's a pile of goons, Foggy actually believes that he just did this. Which is the funniest part of this scene. The idea that not only do the criminals, Slaughter and Turk, think that this happened at Foggy's hands, so does Foggy. And he's feeling so darn proud of himself. It is absolutely adorable. And just as both Foggy and Daredevil think they've gotten out of this situation, Turk decides, no, I'm working for Guts Nelson. Which leads to a wonderful facepalm from Daredevil himself. So we go from out of the frying pan into the fire, and suddenly I guess we're into the oven as Turk takes Foggy to meet the Kingpin. And just before they go in the office, Turk spills out that the heist is happening at Pier 47 that night, and that it's Kingpin that's behind it. He gives Foggy everything. So Foggy's search for research really has yielded results, and luckily Daredevil's listening in so he can do something about the actual heist that's happening. And then the narrative splits. We have Daredevil rushing to the pier to fight off the people who were doing the heist on the ship, with Foggy facing the Kingpin with Turk. And the way this plays out on the page for the next several pages is the top portion of the page is Daredevil, and the action portion of the issue, while the bottom part of the page is Foggy dealing with the tense situation with the Kingpin in the office. I'm going to split these and talk about one and then the other. So Daredevil arrives at Pier 47, just in time for the explosives to blow a hole in this ship. And there's a whole sequence in which Daredevil avoids everybody in the ship and, and is just sort of observing. He hides behind a big post, he swims through the water, coming up in a way that he can actually approach them with a little bit of surprise. Because Daredevil's outnumbered 5 to 1, and those are not good odds in anybody's book. And the fight's going Daredevil's way, he's really making a lot of headway and taking out these goons until they get desperate. When they get desperate, they throw the crate at Daredevil. So the very thing that the heist is built on, the very target, the MacGuffin, if you will, gets thrown at Daredevil and they both go overboard. So the crate pushes Daredevil to the bottom of the water where it hits a barrel and it opens up and the radioactive rod explodes, sending Daredevil rocketing through the water upward. And let me stop right there. So this whole heist is to break into a large ship to steal what is a radioactive isotope, is what they call it. My first question, and possibly your first question on this, is why does the Kingpin want a radioactive rod? And the answer kind of gets spelled out in the next issue a little bit. Not directly, but enough. At this point, Vanessa Fisk, her mind is completely scattered. She's borderline comatose. And of course, Kingpin loves his wife. So he has a private hospital just for her, deep below Fisk Tower. In many instances, radioactive isotopes can be used for diagnostic purposes. For example, CT scans would use low levels of radiation. So an isotope like this would be very valuable to a hospital, or very valuable to a private hospital in this particular instance. Since the story is from Foggy's point of view, and since Daredevil's portion is mainly silent... We only get the dialogue back and forth between Fisk and his men, and they simply say that they lost the isotope. So it's not expressly stated, nor would it be in a real scenario like this. Everybody's usually on the same page. But it's my theory that this isotope is meant for nuclear medicine to help heal Vanessa Fisk, which would be the only real option for Kingpin. Although I guess it begs the question of how Kingpin doesn't have the resources to get this legally. It's likely that the radioactive isotopes used in these tests are heavily regulated. And you would think that maybe Kingpin would have a pull with a private hospital or something of that nature, but maybe his grasp isn't quite that long. This may be the one thing that's out of his reach at the moment. So, 
What does he do? He goes to Glen Industries, pulls some strings to get explosives to blow a hole in this ship to steal the isotope in order to treat Vanessa. That means Daredevil's ultimate thwarting of this particular heist puts a big roadblock in Vanessa's recovery, which is not going to sit well with the Kingpin. As much as Fisk holds a very odd sense of respect for Daredevil, this might be the one point where Daredevil goes over the line, and he really becomes a target of Fisk. In fact, it's probably likely that this action and what happens next in the Daredevil graphic novel Love and War are what caused Kingpin's major, major mad-on that we see in Born Again. In other words, this is the first domino in that particular sequence of events, that Daredevil prevented the isotope that could have sped Vanessa's recovery along a little bit further faster. I don't want to spoil too much about what comes ahead, most of which, you know, some of the main broad strokes we know, but just watch what happens from here on in, between Fisk and between Daredevil. Now, while Daredevil's action sequences are playing out, Foggy is sitting in the middle of a pressure cooker. Turk is talking him up as if he is the next bullseye or the next Electra. And at some point, the BS is going to wear off. Foggy has been lucky so far because Daredevil's been following him and bailing him out of situations. But at this point, Daredevil's attention is elsewhere and Foggy is really, really on his own. And it could have gone a different way as Kingpin simply says, just get out. And Foggy starts to run for it. And that could have been it. The end of the story for Foggy, but no, Turk has to bring him back and make Kingpin listen to his pitch. Turk's big catchphrase is talking about having vision and vision he has got. And yet, Turk can't read a room that Kingpin's in mid-heist and obviously not paying attention to what's going on with him and Foggy. And it's only thanks to Foggy's quick thinking that they get out of this because there's a lull in the communication channel as Daredevil's beating down everybody on the ship and there's just a silence on the walkie-talkie that Kingpin's using to communicate with them. And Foggy takes credit for that. He says, I've got connections, see? Which is probably the only real play he had, but it's a brilliant play at the same time because it actually makes the Kingpin nervous. And Kingpin's like, you had nothing to do with this. You're bluffing. And yet you see him nervously light a cigar, look over his shoulder and then start to try to communicate again. And the next page is complete silence, as Turk, Foggy, and the Kingpin wait for a response in that walkie-talkie, getting more and more nervous, and it's contrasted with Daredevil being underwater with the radioactive isotope, and so the silence is deafening. And it's one of Miller's best pieces, really, because it is tense on both sides, and it's understated, and he sells the emotion so brilliantly in the art. Really, the whole sequence with Daredevil's action sequences going on and the whole tense standoff within Fisk's office is probably some of the best storytelling of this era. Both instances work fine separately in and of themselves, but they work so much better in tandem as this whole thing plays out. I can see it as a movie. A lot of quick cuts and a lot of tension. I think this is sold perfectly on the page in the same emotional sense that you would see in a motion picture. And it comes to such a strong moment as Daredevil gets on the walkie-talkie and tells Kingpin in no uncertain terms, don't mess with Guts Nelson, and Kingpin freezes. And when you think about it from Kingpin's point of view, that is a terrifying idea. Because that means he has let an enemy, a potential rival, into his office in the den during a heist that Daredevil's busting up on this guy's behalf. It's not quite putting a severed horse's head in somebody's bed, but it's a pretty clear message. And Kingpin doesn't know exactly who or what he's messing with. And Foggy fully takes advantage of this emotion by saying, I'm going to come back and talk to you on Monday. And Kingpin nearly chokes him. And there's that feeling that maybe Foggy pushed it one step too far, and this is how he gets killed. But the Kingpin relents, 
because Foggy continues to play the game and then he moves on. And of course, there's the final scene in which Foggy and Turk are on an airplane. Foggy says, hey, I'm going to go use the restroom and leaves Turk alone. What a great ending that Turk is flying off, not realizing once again that his vision is flawed. So there's one final note I want to make before we go into the final verdict. We don't solve any of the problems with Glenn Industries. In fact, things just get worse here. The goal was to not just get to the bottom of what's going on with Glenn Industries, but also try to prevent it from becoming something illegal or something that would take the company down, and Foggy failed at that. Which isn't so much on Foggy's shoulders, to be completely honest with you. Foggy followed the information, and he dug, and he dug, and he got into a bad situation that got out of hand so fast that he had no way to go but up, really. Now, he did find out the who, what, where, when, why, and how, He just didn't find a way to resolve the situation because the explosives are indeed used in a heist. So there's a ton of property damage and the isotope that was going to be stolen doesn't end up in the hands of the bad guys, but it's at the bottom of Pier 47 at this moment. So what I'm trying to say in a more succinct manner is things have gone from bad to worse for Heather's subplot. The difference is that because of Foggy's involvement and because of his investigation, Daredevil was able to keep the isotope out of Kingpin's hands. So there's a bit of a silver lining, I guess. The bad guys don't entirely win. But at the same time, Heather and Glenn Industries are no better off than they were at the very beginning of the issue. The only difference now is that they do know exactly what was going on with the explosives, and it actually made things worse. Because now there's full realization and full disclosure of the criminal activities that these explosives are being used for. Which means that's withholding information from the police at this stage. And that's really, really bad. So Foggy's in a worse position as well. But let's bring it in for a final verdict on Daredevil number 185. I could make it short and sweet that this issue is a pure joy and some of the best storytelling that Miller's had since he took over Daredevil. But I think that deserves some further justification, however. The book sets your expectations right from the beginning with the introduction from Daredevil and with Foggy's narrative point of view, his ongoing narration. And while at times it feels a little more aloof than maybe it should given the circumstances and the state of things and the potential outcome, it still managed to keep itself moving briskly all the way through. It has a phenomenal action sequence with Daredevil at the pier fighting the people in the middle of the heist, which does give us some real moments of gravity as Daredevil's underwater and seemingly knocked unconscious. The comedy is just understated enough to keep you going and keep you laughing without really feeling that this is ridiculous. It never goes into slapstick territory, but it certainly does take its toe right up to the line of slapstick, which is a good skill in comedy to take it just as far as it needs to go without going way over the line with it. Where this issue fails, if you can call it a failure, is it doesn't really take a lot of the emotions of what's occurring seriously. And that I mean specifically within Heather Glenn and the relationship between Matt and Heather. Some of that is due to the fact that the issue is from Foggy's point of view, and he would rather look the other way and not so much acknowledge what's going on with his best friend and his best friend's girl, even though he clearly sees it playing out and he's clearly not comfortable with everything that's going on. But how would Foggy really confront Matt with this situation? How can he tell him, Matt, you've been crazy? Well, probably just that way, but at the same time, let's put that in a little bit of context. Foggy recently found Matt as he had dug up Electra. He's watched Matt decline in his sanity and the way he's presenting himself in such a way that it's terrifying to Foggy. I mean, he's getting calls in the middle of the night that Matt is calling judges to get a request to exhume the body of Electra Nachios. So up till now, Foggy has been responsible for Matt, and as Matt's slowly becoming unwound, 
He's tried to take care of him, but I think he's hit a point where he's tired of taking care of Matt. He's tired of propping Matt up. And I don't blame him for that. So he's trying to clean up Matt's messes without really propping Matt up. He's trying to be quiet about it. And that's why he's taking such an interest in Heather is that he knows Heather's putting up with this shit too. The issue does not do well putting Matt in a good light. Yes, as Daredevil, he's great in his action sequences. He's watching out for his best friend. But Matt Murdock is not really sporting a good look right now. And Foggy's kind of doing his best to distance himself from being in the middle of Matt's affairs. Of course, when Heather walks in and puts herself right in Foggy's crosshairs, he wants to act because if he can take care of Heather and he can clean up Matt's mess without doing it directly, great. No confrontation, no fuss, no muss. The problem with that is it shows a certain naivete and a certain distance between he and Matt, and a certain reluctance to really face up to what Matt's doing and do something about it. And because of that, the core emotions of what's going on with Heather and Matt are kind of ignored. Because Foggy doesn't want to deal with it head on, he would rather help Heather and get it cleaned up than confront Matt and say, hey, get your act together, take care of the woman you're engaged to. Or more properly, the woman you've proposed to. They're not engaged yet. Not officially. It's almost an ill-timed issue with everything that's been going on, with the ultra-serious stuff that we are dealing with and that we are going to deal with as this run reaches its conclusion. But it does provide a certain levity that's going to be needed as we dive into some really, really serious stuff. So it ends up being a complete joy. It just kind of turns its head away from what's going on emotionally with the characters. Luckily, that's something we're going to hit head on as we go forward. And that brings us to the end. So what are we doing next time, Dave? Well, we're going to look at the very next issue. If you thought Daredevil being exposed to a radioactive isotope would have absolutely no effect and no relevance, you are wrong. We're going to look at all the fallout from this issue as we dive into Daredevil number 186. And yes, the fallout bit was indeed a pun. Again, come for the Daredevil, stay for the dad jokes. That will be in one week. Until then, I am J. David Weeder, reminding you that justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. Tonight.